0: Welcome back to the Mechanical Freak Podcast, where we're we're freaking in the evening, freaking in the morning, freaking at supper time. Mm-hmm. Um, Munya, you're in New York City, as we've discussed, the little apple. We're in Washington over here, the big apple. Uh, how, how are you doing? How's, how's New York these days? Man,
1: New York is great because uh, my family is visiting. My mom and dad oh, are Oh, that's cool. That's fun. Well, my, da- my mom <laughs> is, uh, you know, doing some... Uh, she's a union person now in the, in DGA, you know? So mm-hmm. she like, I think is going to be, a uh, uh, potentially a delegate in the, in, like the director's guild for their upcoming meeting question mark. So she had to, you know, delay it a little bit. Uh, but my dad is here and, you know, he's in like the other room and stuff, probably hearing, uh, you know, a faint, uh, echoes of this podcast right now. We've been doing a lot of fun stuff though. You know, uh, we've been touring around New York uh, secretly, uh, he really does not like New York and he never did. That's why like, it, it's been since <laughs> I moved here since the last time he's been here. But, um, I'm super happy that he, uh, uh, came through and he's here for like two and a half weeks. So, you know, he's here for a while. So that that's like my, my life is just like, you know, uh, hanging out with parents and hosting them. So I'm like camped out literally like, you know, on an, on a single air mattress, like mm-hmm. in my a uh, home office space right now, you know. So like, this is like where I'm potting is where I'm sleeping. Like, this is like my podcaster den for the next two
0: weeks. <laughs> well, while I have a well publicized anti living in New York position, I actually have a less well publicized uh, extreme pro visiting New York uh, position, yes. which I think is a lot of fun. Uh, and and I like all uh, well, not all, but I like a lot of the touristy stuff. I think that uh, Central Park is very cool. Central Park like, is cool.
1: Like, you know, I think like Pike Place uh Central Park is like one of the tourist destinations that l- I think actually are good with yeah. locals, you know. Yeah. that's like something that actually provides utility and isn't just like there. There was like this recent um article, I think I forget who wrote it, but I, I think The Cut published it. Um I think, you know, this is from mm-hmm. memory, but uh they, they were talking about how they were like uh, making the case against like travel and travel culture. And one of the things was, is they were like, you know, all of the tourist destinations that you go to are there specifically for you to just do a thing. What, like, you know, the thing hmm. does not actually provide any real, you know, uh value outside of just doing that thing so if you're if like the destination is to pet a parakeet there's just this one parakeet there and you pet it because that's what you're supposed to do right yeah, and like yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. like 90 percent of tourist attractions that's what they are right outside mm-hmm. of the context of visiting there for two yeah. days and doing the thing like it's like worthless central park and pike place and like stuff like that have so much you know intrinsic uh you know, value to them where like even as locals, like they are just so so cool. And I think that that's like what like tourist attractions should be is like things that actually, you know, are meaningful both for locals and like people visiting well, in.
0: Imagine building something so great for the local population that other people who don't live there want to see it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? And- that's the difference. And so the architectural firm, the two brothers that designed Central Park, you know, are the ones who designed the core park system in in Seattle as well. And, you know, in Seattle, look, let's be serious. Seattle's nothing as cool as Central Park or Prospect Park or anything like that. Yeah,
1: Prospect. Because Prospect Park was done by the same people, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And, it, and it's uh, but it is like the, the park system in Seattle is nice compared to a lot of other major American cities. And it's because there was this period at the end of the 20th century, you know, in you know the turn of the 20th century where they were like, what if we built like nice things?
1: <laughs> now, like, what if we gay people things?
0: Yeah. Now, don't look too much into the building of Central Park because there's a lot of depressing shit in there. But uh, but, you know, it is a nice park. Have you ever been to the Tenements Museum? That's really um, cool too. You know, it's worth I'm seeing like, it's small, but worth seeing. I mean, ironically.
1: It's, it's a really it's yeah, I know. I mean, it's like <laughs> literally as small as the tenement itself. Yeah, um yeah. and it's funny because their merch, uh, it, it's a ter- it's a tote that just says tenement on it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say like tenement museum. Yeah, so it's yeah. almost like you're like, like the hats just say tenement. So it's like, are you it's like for the hats, pro tenement? <laughs> like for the real are, hats are you are you it. just like <laughs> or just supporting tenements there like that's so funny but um no no i haven't been there but it's in the lower east side it's off of the delancey essex stop so like you know i'm like there like a a lot i just haven't been able to um go Mm. into it but you know it it seems cool
0: yeah i mean that'd be something too that'd be like kind of wild for your dad to see probably enjoy that
1: yeah yeah we went to the um uh museum of photography which is right next to the tenement museum so Mm. you know we'll probably hit that before
0: yeah, lots of good museums in New York. It's, like yeah. I said, it's, it's a great tourist place. It's just a hard place to live, just as you are oh, well aware now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. difficult. You know? it's just like, a, it's just
1: a. It's, well, you know, it's it's an extreme sport living in New York. <laughs> pretty much. And I, it's like literally is like that's just like well, no one comes here to relax. You know, like well, no one's uh, relaxed
0: here. Moody, I consider this. I came up with my opinions about not wanting to live in New York before the seasonal flooding of the subway <laughs> began, which is now. Just a <laughs> part of your life or the part of just, our life yeah. <laughs> yeah fills with water during monsoon season
1: every year you
0: know
1: god yeah just you know you're playing tag and you just hope you're not it why like uh <laughs> you know getting uh submerged in a <laughs> in a subway station <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> incredible well i can't yeah. wait for you to come then brian this is you officially saying that you're gonna come to new york uh with no. Bryn, hopefully i mean yeah. you have a place to stay like what why didn't you just come through
0: yeah, no, uh Bryn like uh has never been, obviously, and I actually uh would like to go with her, so it's just a matter of getting our, our life together. The and housing
1: thing. is the biggest barrier when it comes mm-hmm. to visiting New York, so you guys have that checked off, so you know.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Relatively
1: low cost, uh low cost when you when you factor that in.
0: mm mm-hmm. Plane yeah, know, ticket will be sure. like
1: the biggest expense.
0: Yeah, and plus I get to annoy you so that's the added bonus
1: perfect dude oh my god <laughs> well the people need it we could do it we could rent out the bell house and do a ending the myth live show there
0: oh hell yes I right, yeah. let's do it let's do we'll it
1: we'll have a we'll have will and Felix open for us
0: mm-hmm uh, sandwiches at Katz's beforehand. Yes, that of course way, you know I could just roll into the Bell House. You know, uh, <laughs> ma- maximum level of disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: stained, stained white T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> just, just the <laughs> grease just, just dripping down my beard. Just dripping just on your beard. Obviously not pastrami. beard oil. Like yeah. just like it's like very clearly food oil that's on your beard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> my parents uh went to new york at one point and i it was about the time to go to casus which i always tell people to go because i feel like it's a very quintessential new york experience it's Like too.
1: again it's like one of those yeah. things that is like great for tourists mm-hmm. to go to and also just extremely extremely good like yeah, for the yeah, people of new ass. york yeah. yeah
0: and i just realized that my dad would probably get murdered at cats so i just I, I directed them away i was like do not go to cats <laughs> murdered <laughs> i mean like, like they're this gonna is kill like, them. Like,
1: yeah, maybe in the '80s. I, I'm sure uh, yeah. now. Uh, <laughs>
0: well, he would get up there, he'd fuck up the ordering process, but also insist on not getting out of the way, and then would, would naturally throw his receipt away, get to the dorm, and then be mad that he had to pay the hundred dollar.
1: Yeah, know, lost thing. Yeah, you know? no, he, he would, would get murdered there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he right. wouldn't make it. No.
0: Um, all right. Well, from New York, uh, that small town on our eastern frontier, yep. <laughs> to the industrial heartland of America, Wisconsin. I want to read this uh, <laughs> just a couple of paragraphs of this article, The Guardian, uh, that I saw this week. Video that I just thought was hilarious. Um, There's two paragraphs that I just love it. So, in the small town of Freedom, Wisconsin. Buzz's Pub and Grill. I mean, there's just so much good in that first bit. Right? Buzz's Pub and Grill, a local sports bar whose logo features frothing beer mugs in the colors of the American flag, has been short staffed since the pandemic. Jeff Baker, the owner, says he, quote, could use one more bartender and probably two more cooks he hasn't found any takers and over a year of running <laughs> help wanted ads skill
1: so, issue <laughs> skill issue.
0: Uh uh-huh. So he's made do by working extra shifts in the kitchen and paring back the video. So he's actually had to work. This is the true tragedy oh, of the story. No, not,
1: not, not,
0: <laughs> I not have this to person work in my actually having to work at his own kitchen. Baker could soon get more job applicants thanks to a new proposal that would lower Wisconsin's minimum age for alcohol service to just 14 years old. It would, quote, absolutely be a welcome change if children applied, Baker says. Quote, not as many kids work as much as they used to. Back in our day, more kids were needed and more parents made their kids work. (laughs) I just love that. That's so good. Interesting.
1: (laughs) Um what a what a paragraph or two like that
0: <laughs> what an that opener. was
1: that was quite a crazy opener there i mean i love i love how um you know just how labor is just really in vogue right now, you know like we like for like maybe twenty years we pretended that like that was like something that was just <laughs> off the table, and you know uh the moment that there's a uh worker shortage, especially in the food industry because you know ultimately uh along with other things uh once you're in the food and service industry you don't really not many people get there on purpose you know like that's (laughs) like it's like (laughs) it's something that kind of like is an accident and like you're still there because it's just like a constant cyclical cycle right like and it's Mm -hmm. like kind of hard to break out of but you know uh during covid uh everyone had to stop right and uh once you have people who kind of like get a break and look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know, I'm just not going to work in food anymore. I'm going to pick up a trade or do something else with my life. Uh, You know, they're not coming back. You're not like rehiring them, you know, like (laughs) uh, that's like that's skilled labor. That's just completely uh, gone for good. Right. And, um, you know, uh, so a moment notice like that, where now maybe small business owners have to put in a shift or two um, Mm -hmm. means that like child labor is just now back on the table.
0: Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. It, no, I mean, to your point, I, w- I was joking with Brett about this this morning of like, yeah, the things that we could, that we supposedly thought were beyond the pale, but the second capital, like, <laughs> might have to pay a worker a dollar more an hour, yeah. immediately get like renormalized, right? There's like, no, no, that's like totally a thing. To like, it'll be a huge help,
1: guys. I mean, think about, <laughs> think about me for a second here.
0: All right. Like, well, and I like you. He's like, oh, kids worked all the time when I was, a- when yeah. I was a kid. It's like, what, like, 19? Is this like Mr. Burns talking? Like, it's like 1900 <laughs> what are yeah, you talking yeah. about <laughs> yeah but, kids
1: worked all the time at the mines back in the day man like
0: <laughs> but it is hilarious and i just liked it as a nice entree into this uh what's been going on the big the big uh, debate on twitter this week which is uh i think this was started by noah smith or at no opinion on on twitter uh but it has been really the flag with you know Noah Smith kind of dropped the flag on the ground and Will Stancil has picked it up and it's just being riddled with bullets this week running <laughs> with it. Um, but all our favorite Warren supporters uh, from 2020. Oh yeah. Uh, so it began with Noah Smith uh, tweeting Folks, in the interests of fairness, I'm trying to think of reasons why anyone could reasonably call this a bad economy. One, uh,
1: just like (laughs) off the bat, just um, an incredibly good faith way of framing this. Right. Like I love how he can't even like hide like his seething just like hatred for like the people on the other end of this question, because, you know, trying to have this veneer of like, you know, neutrality or almost like you know like centrism being like i just want to hear both sides but like it's kind of like the conservative comedian who like gets too mad to actually make the joke you know like <laughs> he can't he he can't like hide like his just like um his smugness and he's just like I'm trying to think of reasons why anyone could reasonably call this a bad economy like so like <laughs> can't even hold it in bro like oh yeah
0: well and he, you know, he follows you know to your point point. and i tell you it ain't easy yeah. this is one of the most <laughs> robust economic expansions in modern american so, history so
1: that's not a neutral question then Noah. you <laughs> yeah. don't actually want to know like <laughs> you're already making a case like against like anyone uh answering that question but anyway
0: yeah. And so, you know, the nerd will stencil them, pick that up. and It's just been running with it all week when people like point out the, you know, housing costs are through the roof. He's like, but why do you care about that? I <laughs> like just doing that. But yeah, I just want to talk. I mean, this is obviously the sort of gambit that we're going to do with Biden going to this new election is to just tell people because the numbers have come out. Polling data has come out. People uh, are, they're down on on Bidenomics, they're down on the on the economy and uh i guess the strategy for democrats is just to say uh hey look stupid uh it's good actually <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that's the entirety of it um and i you know a, I, I you know I, I have some questions about whether that uh, strategy will work uh but b uh what if and hear me out Munya. what if it's not good actually <laughs> oh Okay, <laughs> and you know, I read the the thing about the child labor thing first because a, I think it's hard to you know, brag about how great things are going in the economy when we're also simultaneously reintroducing child labor <laughs> as a legal form. <laughs> like within the legal framework of labor in America, you can now employ fourteen year olds at the steel mill. I think that might actually be a sign that there's something bad happening in the economy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm t- I'm tepidly listening, Brian, but I'm just so not convinced, you know, like the kids need these uh, work experience. I mean, this is why we have a bunch of lazy millennials in this corporate jobs, right? It's because they just mm-hmm. like, you know, got to play outside all day and shit like, you know. <laughs> at some you, point the these kids
0: need to grow up you know in the perpetual arguments over why you shouldn't raise the minimum wage i, I feel like this one's kind of gone away a little bit because i mean, children have been crowded i to to uh the point uh from you know the guy from mr burns over at you know the america bar and grill in freedom wisconsin um i do think that children like teenagers specifically were more employed maybe 20 years ago but what's happened isn't that like kids don't want to work anymore it's they've actually been crowded out of the field by adults who need jobs right (laughs) and the situation for adults has gotten so bad that the minimum wage jobs that kids are working are now like jobs that adults well maybe they don't covet them they have to take right um which i would argue is probably not a sign of how good (laughs) economy is first off but the other part of it is um during the like debates over raising the minimum wage i feel like you don't hear this one as much but this is what i remember from the 2000s at least and certainly the first obama administration was well the minimum wage is supposed to be low because it's like a training wage for children you know and This is like part of the logic of how like Americans have come, a certain type of Americans come to understand wages, is that wages are based off of some intrinsic thing in the applicant themselves, right? And so like, well, they're a child, so they they get like, just like they said, the children's table on Thanksgiving, they get the children's wage, right? As opposed to your wage being in any way related to like your productive capacity on the job. Right, right. Right. that, That has nothing to do with anything. Stay out of that. All right. Stop looking at how much money that kid makes McDonald's every hour. That's the wrong thing to look at. You should be looking at how old they are. And it also is funny because that's probably the same thing that like a British mine owner in you know, 1850 would have told you about why he filled his mind full of seven year olds. It's just funny. This is treated as like, uh, yeah, no, this is a viable opinion that we should take seriously, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, on this point, I mean, so, Will is the one who's been going uh, hard on the statistics on this, right? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. And he keeps pointing out that real wages have gone up in the last couple of years. And the funny thing is, if you actually look at the latest Fed data, uh, they did go up for a little bit and are now trending back down so mm. kind of hurts oh, oh well <laughs> so anyways right <laughs> but as people pointed out this doesn't you know account for things like housing costs to which his response would be well real wages take into account inflation and i think this is kind of how a certain type of nerd uses numbers and statistics to lie to you. <laughs> so, yeah so His first argument would be that real wages, they take into account inflation, and he would say that's a perfect accounting of inflation, right? You know, Uh, to which economists who've been arguing about real wage data for, you know, since the new deal when they first started creating it uh real wage data actually does not perfectly account for inflation most importantly it doesn't perfectly account for things like housing prices
1: well inflation doesn't even uh properly account for housing (laughs) prices too right like i mean like when inflation was hovering at like you know one and two percent consistently like from 2013 to let's say i think 2017 2018 Mm -hmm. um you know rents in places like seattle austin new york were skyrocketing at that time right i mean like and yet and much more than two percent we're talking like you know 10 percent 15 sometimes 20 percent jumps right sometimes even more than that if you're like going to be really hyper local right but um you know if you're taking like a national uh inflation account um, there's a lot of factors that there's some prices that jump one hundred percent, and maybe flat screen t v prices go down, and that means that inflation's at two percent right yeah so like you know I, I i would say what is more important a flat screen t v or a shelter that you have over your head, like yeah. an actual house right um arguably <laughs> I would pick <laughs> uh you know a rent versus a flat screen t v
0: yeah, and this is like the exact argument that economists from the left have made for 40 years of, okay, uh, consumer, certain consumer goods that are maybe nice but not necessary have actually gone down. That's where all the like price deflation has happened, yeah. right? Which is, yeah, like TV is to your point, right? But the necessary consumer goods, the ones that are required for like living – Have all skyrocketed and outpaced the inflation rate, not to mention wage rates, right? Over Again, over 40 fucking years, right? We're talking accumulation over decades, right? And, you know, yeah, housing being a big part of that, health insurance or just medical costs generally being another big part of that, education costs, etc., right? And again, these are things that, like, it's a little different. Uh, to say like, well, look, prices went down on you know Xbox games this year, or Xbox this year, <laughs> versus you know rents went up twenty five percent this year. One of those has a bigger impact on your life than yeah. uh, the other one. Now, the thing is, and this is where it's very funny, you know, if you do like, you know, myself and some other people did, and respond like. Okay, uh, real wages have gone up. We'll just accept that and not uh, interrogate that anymore. Although there's obviously much to be interrogated there. Why are savings rates in the toilet below what they were pre-pandemic? Right, they've completely collapsed, and carried credit, meaning the amount of you know money people owe to their credit cards has dramatically shot up like it is it yeah is maintain like a,
1: that pace too yeah
0: yeah, it's like an arrow going 90 degrees up and it's like you know it's rising at a pace faster than it has at any time in the last 15 years right and it's like you know what you know it's like okay let's look at the data what does that tell you people have nothing in their savings account and their credit cards are maxed what does yeah. that tell you about <laughs> how well the economy is working for them? <laughs> you know like and uh and i just you know i i think this thing of like we'll just tell people it's good and um throw like one number at them and then tell them stu- that they're stupid for not understanding it uh i just i don't know that that is going to be a viable strategy for 2024 <laughs> i gotta say I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical
1: yeah you know i mean it's i mean this is the thing with people like this I think it is uncomfortable to realize that, uh, your own experience, especially being of a certain class, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) being in a comfortable position where you can even make these quips in general, um, which very well might be their experience. Like, you know, like it very well, if you own. Equities and stuff that, you know, like loosely tracks, you know, the robust nature of the economy. Cause like what they're saying is technically true. Like, if you look at, you know, GDP per capita in the US, like, you know, the trend before the pandemic, let's say, is just kind of like a uh, lower slope. If you draw a line from like, you know, 1980 to now, like there was like maybe like a 2% growth. Like, you know, besides the recession dip during like the first six months of the pandemic, uh, since then, GDP per capita has been rising really, really uh, has surpassed this high pre-pandemic level mm-hmm. and is growing at a much faster pace. So, I mean, like we're not contesting that they're like wrong about that. That is happening. Right. And that mm-hmm. is a, you know, in terms of like in the interest of the state wise, that is um, something that the U.S. has been trying to do for decades now and has failed at and you know growth rates have consistently gone down now that trend is reversing like that's a really big deal i think for like the state at large um that does not equate to the actual experience regular people who live in america (laughs) working people in america you know have right like Mm -hmm. inflation will absolutely help corporate profits right inflation absolutely you know um, robust economic activity when people are maxing out their credit cards buying things you know that does like help a particular you know class yeah. of people right uh if you're a landlord raising the rent and getting more rents out of people right like that it, that yeah economy is awesome for people like that right like it's fine yeah. uh, and there's like kind of people in the middle stature where they're not you know living paycheck to paycheck but maybe not like you know know, uh, parasitic landlords or something, right? Like,
0: yeah, like the urban but, professional, but, but can still right? Comfortably, you know?
1: yeah. yeah, people who are in the co- professional class who can live comfortably, who can eat the cost of inflation, right? Because they still have to, mm-hmm. like, you know, have that cost, but it doesn't affect them as grotesquely as, like, you know, the average worker in America, right? Who can sit on their computer and be like, "Well, you know, it hasn't affected me," and I'm not like, you know, a, a titan of industries. So you know I mean, like, why, why, why are you guys living in this like fake reality, right? Like, wake mm. up, because you guys are idiots, you know. So it's almost like this. I mean, it's looking down on everyone else, basically saying like, well, my experience is good. So what's your your problem? Yeah, you guys are idiots, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but it's uncomfortable for them to realize that people's experience in America is fundamentally different from their own and low key it's required for it to be different for them to continue, continue their life that they're living. Right. So, you know, that's a contradiction that it probably is not like fun to look in the mirror for. And to actually like recognize, right. Is that, you know, people's other exploitation, even within the middle class, like if you want to, you know, define that as a class, right. You know, uh, you know, uh, there is some cushiness, but that requires uh, classes below you to be more, you know, exploited yeah. and precarious than you are.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, you know, it it's uh, the product of, you know, as you sort of mentioned, living in a highly segregated society like you can find polling data in the 1960s of uh you know <laughs> polling white people about like the the plight of like black america like do you think it's like better or worse or base do you think it's like basically okay and like polling polls over and over again in the 60s like white people are like yeah i think everything in black america is going great yeah it's <laughs> like, awesome <laughs> like, yeah better Damn. better than before and uh <laughs> d- and great generally and yeah. it's one of those things that you could say like that's like racist or whatever and like certainly that always plays a part but like the biggest thing is that that's the product of segregation (laughs) like if you never have to see anybody right if you never see any of these people you can imagine whatever the fuck you want as far as what they're doing and what they're up to right
1: and and that's the power of segregation is that like once you're like not forced to interact with people who are not of the same economic social and you know uh, frankly in America racial class you know Um, Mm -hmm. you know you can Make up whatever the fuck you want, right? Like that's yeah. a that's an asymmetry of inf- information that obviously, like segregation does a lot of things, but it also it it diffuses and severs social bonds, and you know that uh, uh, what I guess is replaced within that void that's filled with segregation is these fantasies, right? Because it, it you know before like mass segregation and suburbanization in america is happening like you couldn't really say those things with a straight face because you actually know mm-hmm. people like that right you yeah, actually yeah. have to interact with them outside of them serving you water and sparkling water and stuff and food you know yeah. like
0: <laughs> yeah you have to interact with them in a more like serious way i mean we talk about and ending the myth right that you know in virginia in particular It was immediately after a a slave revolt in uh, 1801 or 1800, sorry, that uh, that involved both white uh, workers and black slaves that they began having formal laws regarding segregation and like marriage and housing. Right. And it was like realized very early on, like, you got to keep these people separate. You can't have people talking to each other. And there is that works like that. That's the reason why the U.S. has maintained that strategy for 200 plus years is it does work. I mean, it can lead uh, to goofs like Noah Smith and. Uh, Will Stansel to look at modern America and go like everything's fine. Why does anybody complain? You know, you know? things
1: are up on the on the up and up, baby.
0: Yeah, because everything just becomes a mirror to yourself, particularly when you're very incurious, right? Like yeah. everything is just a mirror of yourself. You're like, oh, I'm doing good, and I got no complaints. So yeah, that must mean everybody's doing good. Log on to Fidelity.com.
1: No you see your stock no. portfolio. Like, well, case closed. I yeah. mean, yeah,
0: and, and, and you <laughs> and you know, and, and and it leaves out too, like. An analysis of things that are actually actively happening, which is like, yeah, the liquidation of people's bank accounts. But the other part of it is, you know, the raising of interest rates by the Fed is specifically to raise unemployment and lower wages. Like that is very specifically why they're doing it. Right. And by the way, it's good thing they got all these tweets out now because the July employment numbers are looking like it's going that direction, right? So uh, new job opportunities have finally uh, slowed to an almost halt and uh, and jobs are contracting, you know, which is what you...
1: <laughs> well, finally, because, I mean, Powell and yeah. the Fed and, you know, analysts of the Fed have been kind of frustrated with seeing interest rates rise while still un- unemployment Uh, was pretty low, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. time after time, month after month, you'll see, you know, Fed jobs reports and, you know, the unemployment rate was still strong and that was like a key complaint basically yeah, saying like they would you know... sound
0: disappointed when they brought <laughs> yeah. that up or when you heard it on the news or npr the reporters would bring that up as like a bad thing and yeah, a sign right. that they're gonna have to keep raising interest rates so it's like the other part of it like, too is whatever the economy is right now the current federal policy is to make it worse for regular people like that is yeah. explicitly their policy <laughs> you know? yeah and
1: it's not mutually exclusive like i think there's also this um it's almost like this Keynesian myth, I guess, that has trailed into neoliberalism as well. Um, But more so, you know, like pre-neoliberal, like Keynesian, that like, you know, the idea that the working class interests are tied with, you know, the national economy's interest too, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, you know, know, working class has as much of a stake in the uh, national economy's performance as, you know, as the average capitalist or you know elite uh, does you know within a country and you know what is kind of happening is to a degree if you what you define economy yeah of course because the economy is made up of workers but you know um, on on the level that they're operating at uh, there in no means needs to be a intrinsic uh, correlation between uh, wages rising. while you know the economy rises too in fact neoliberalism tells you the opposite and that's why the federal minimum wage is still the same as it was 10 years ago
0: well per capita gdp rising is an like immaterial point in a society that's highly segregated and stratified by class right like you know and the easiest way to understand that is whether the antebellum south you know the the cotton plantations made more money or less money like what does that matter to the slaves
1: yeah right who, who gives a shit
0: like yeah the economy as economists like to envision it is doing better yeah. But for the workers who are not receiving the surplus, right, of that economy, what why do they care one way or the other? I work hard, I get nothing. I work, yeah. you know, less hard, I still get nothing. Like, you know, and that
1: Yeah, but in the national economy sense, like the economy is rising. And that's why I yeah. think within like economic theory, and that's why, you know, like and this is like a thing about uh, you know, left e- economists uh all the time like have this critique of supply side economics is just as well as just traditional um you know, macroeconomics is um, the economy is working for who you got to like ask the question of, you know, uh, who actually does gain? Because like there's a surplus that's made, um, you know, under, you know, a a communist state like that uh, should be distributed and owned by uh, the workers who produce that. Right. But under capitalism, fundamentally, that is not how that system works by design. Right. So who is actually getting the surpluses of, you know, the increased GDP? um obviously it's not the workers uh of America today um you know uh, maybe there's some crumbs left for you know uh, people who are lucky enough to have 401ks, right? And you know maybe mm-hmm. get some dividends and stuff, and you know the capital <laughs> that aren't gains having it liquidated
0: stuff. by fees and things yeah, like that. Yeah, but, yeah exactly. You know, right, yeah. we're already getting that chipped yeah. away.
1: But you know the majority of a surplus uh, depends on how that's distributed, and that doesn't um, you know this like neutral framing of uh, economic growth. I think mystifies a lot of those mm-hmm. uh, realities when talking about economics.
0: Well, speaking of uh, you know, delusional fantasies going from one <laughs> to another. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it looks like some of your friends from New York, Munya, have decided to buy a plane ticket and visit us out here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm speaking specifically of a photo essay that appeared on the <laughs> New York Times Instagram feed. Uh, called Scenes from a City that Only Hands Out Tickets for Using Fentanyl. <laughs> it is a, as you might imagine, grotesque series of black and white photos so that you know that it's serious and artsy mm-hmm. of the poorest people in Portland, essentially. Right? Uh, just photographing them, just a little poverty porn for everybody uh, mixed with some text and uh, So there's a little, like, essay next to it that essentially argues that for the past two and a half years, uh, Oregon had passed a law that essentially legalized possession of small amounts of narcotics. Now, that's already an overstatement. It essentially changed the punishment structure of (laughs) having small (laughs) amounts of uh, narcotics. But, you know, we can talk more about that later. And that because of this... Uh, There has been this massive, you know, uh, influx and, you know, booming, uh, you know, opioid crisis in Oregon, uh, which, of course, is, you know, shown through fentanyl overdose deaths and the such. Right. Which is basically what their argument is. Right. Uh, Anything you could have gotten out of the Seattle Times, I guess.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like. Yeah, it, it's it's funny how the New York Times was just kind of like probably like reading, you know, the local uh, Portland newspaper, maybe like, you know, the Blevins, Seattle Times and is like, you guys aren't doing it right, guys. Like, <laughs> we got to step in here. You guys, um, you know, aren't pulling your weight enough. Uh, you know, we got to we got to show you how it's done. And they basically went like uh, what a freshman in uh, photography 101 would do, which yeah. is uh, like get a DSLR for the first time and then just like uh, shoot pictures of like the <laughs> poorest people they can find. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's fucking incredible. And they essentially, I mean, it's kind of funny. here. Let me just let me read these two paragraphs of the. Yeah, yeah. It's important to, to read it, Yeah. The paragraphs. When the proposal, known as Measure 110, was approved by nearly 60% of Oregon voters in November 2020, the pandemic had already emptied downtown Portland of workers and tourists. But its street population was growing, especially after the anti-police protests that had spread around the country that summer. Within months of the measures taking effect in February 2021, open-air drug use Long in the shadows, burst into full view <laughs> with people sitting in circles in parks or leaning against street signs, smoking fentanyl crushed on tinfoil. Since then, Oregon's overdose rates have only grown. Now, tents of unhoused people line many sidewalks in Portland, months long waiting lists for treatment continue to lengthen, and some politicians and community groups are calling for Measure 110 to be replaced with tough tough on crime fentanyl possession laws. Uh, Those ones that work so well during the drug war, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And others are pleading for more time and resources. All right. And so again, yeah, with all these photos. So let's just kind of get our timeline straight here. So the explosion of the drug and homelessness crisis in Oregon uh, according to the New York Times, apparently times exactly with the passage of this law, but also the Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, right? also that element. too. Yeah, uh, that just invited drug use and homelessness um, because <laughs> of reasons, I guess. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Fill in reasons there, because that's another uh, you know thing that the New York Times doesn't like is uh, the Black Lives Matter protests. Right. Um, but I I do want to like, so first off, you know, this idea that, okay, immediately after this took effect, open air drug use long in the shadows burst into full view. Um, I think that the port, anybody who's followed Portland media or just Pacific Northwest media for the last, I don't know, ever, would be very surprised to hear that uh, there was no open air drug use in Portland prior to tw- February of 2021. Yeah. <laughs> they legislated that in. <laughs> yeah, I remember, it was actually uh, not only is drug use legal now, you all have to do it, and you yeah. have to do it outside.
1: <laughs> it's <were> the, enforced. <laughs> that's yeah. what Ted, the uh, mayor Ted, uh, you know, <laughs> wanted yeah. to enforce because I guess he, he, you can also be the police commissioner and mayor at the same time in uh in Portland so you know he's just kind of killing two birds with one stone he's like mm. we got to get our cops enforcing like open-air drug use now
0: yeah if they catch you walking around the streets of Portland sober they actually hold you down <laughs> and just like uh the cops blow fentanyl smoke in your face you yeah. know <laughs> until you inhale um but yeah so yeah I mean one I mean just like the most absurd of statements uh, but also, you know, they did follow it since then, Oregon's overdose rates have only grown. And it's really interesting because you would take from this that, man, Oregon specifically, unlike every other state in the country, has had this massive growth in like opioid addiction and fentanyl use, something that every other state has managed to avoid uh, until you realize that growth and when it started happened literally everywhere in the United States at the same time. <laughs> so did everywhere in the okay. United States also have this law, right? Like what? What's the, the damn argument city here?
1: councils in, in every single like city in the country?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's you know it's absurd, and I and I went and I was like I was kind of curious. So I went and I went to the CDC, which tracks like drug overdoses by state, right. Keeps the data, you know, and I was kind of curious. Well, so it was... has to
1: be high. Give the New York times like, you know, well, I mean, this is like, I found also the article, um, that accompanies it. It's not the, the like, it's not even the Brett Stevens one. It's actually this like, uh, funny, um, like basically like the photo essay with like more, uh, text. So Jan Hoffman wrote the text and Jordan Gale took the photographs. um, And if you, like, see these photos, these are, like, so involved to the point where it's just a bunch of, like, police writing tickets to, like, people, like, on the streets. Like, a person, like, passed out and stuff. Um, Just, like, a lot of, um, I don't know, poverty point. It's really painting a bleak picture Mm -hmm. of Portland, right? So, I mean, if the New York Times is saying overdose deaths are high and implying that they're super high and they're flying across the country, like... I mean, Brian, like these CDC stats must be pretty bad.
0: Yeah, they must be crazy, right? So the CDC they collect data from all around the country uh, using hospital codes to determine, um, you know, overdose mortality rates for various countries or for various states, right? And uh, you know, their latest data, the latest complete data set is from 2020. And on that one, let me find Oregon. Where's Oregon at? Where are you, Oregon? Oh yeah. It actually ranks 41st in the country and <laughs> drug overdose deaths. Now, you know, somebody might say, well, that's because we're not, you know, controlling for opioids. Literally like the vast majority of drug overdose deaths at this point are opioid overdoses. Like it, it is like the, you know, so where you rank on just drug overdose generally is going to is controls for that. Right. But Oregon is not only below the national average on um, drug overdose deaths, it's like significantly below the national average. Uh, for instance, a state with higher drug overdose deaths is, oh yeah, where are you at? New York. Oh. Yeah, the state of New York actually has a 25, 25% higher uh, you know, uh, overdose rate than Oregon does. Uh, New York also has homeless people too. So weird that they flew somebody all the way out to Oregon. Maybe we could talk a little more about that later. Hmm. But, uh, you know, Oregon in 2020, like I said, that's the last complete data set that has every state. Uh, their overdose rate was 18.7 per 100,000 people. Uh, whereas West Virginia, which is the king of overdosing, if you want to die of a drug overdose, they West Virginia it. is your place, <laughs> uh, was at 81 per 100,000 people, right? So, so significantly higher
1: west virginia kentucky dc delaware ohio tennessee louisiana maryland pennsylvania all of those have higher overdose weights like significantly than new york and
0: oregon and washington which also is well below the national average but also some states that you wouldn't predict are above the national average and might have you might ask some interesting questions about uh like vermont and hmm. maine right Rhode Island why is everybody fucking Rhode killing Rhode Island them? wow yeah why is everybody killing themselves in Vermont i guess uh the new york times could not be bothered or maybe it was too far to travel uh in 2021 by the way the cdc this is their latest data set but it's not complete they only have 34 i believe jurisdictions reporting 32 jurisdictions reporting and in that one oregon again is well below the national average now it's overdose rate has increased like every state in the countries, but it is still well below the national average. I think it's like 20 something out of 32. Uh, Again, West Virginia, right at the top, Kentucky, Delaware, right? New Mexico, pretty high, all the same places, you know, Uh, which is to say, and by the way, you can go back in the CDC data for years. And I went back five years through the CDC data. It's consistently like this. Washington, and Oregon are well below national average, and uh, you know are like in the bottom quarter of states. Which leads to this question of if the drug crisis is primarily not happening in these states, why is that all we fucking see on on the news and here on the news, right? <laughs> why why do we always hear that Seattle and, or, and Portland are dying? When it'd be more accurate to say uh, every small town in West Virginia is dead. <laughs> is dead. Yeah.
1: It's like, you know, on a cross. Well, it's so funny because I think that we should dive into that, Brian, because it's an important topic. Um, just to put an emphasis on, like, I think media hype about the homelessness and drug problems of Seattle, of Portland, of San Francisco, etc., cetera, um, in the same piece uh, of this like photo essay uh, in, in the actual like New York Times uh, you know website instead of just like on the Instagram so I clicked through and I saw like the full text the ones that they didn't even include and Brian would you believe it they interviewed Jennifer Myrtle who uh, runs a coffee shop and wine bar in uh, Fort <laughs> Portland
0: <laughs> I've already taken her very seriously <laughs> 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 On her walk
1: to work at Fort Forte Portland, a coffee shop and wine bar that she operates with her brother in the sunken lobby of a commercial building, Jennifer M- Myrell sidesteps needles, shattered glass, and human feces. <laughs> <laughs> Often... <laughs>
0: it's amazing it's like all these guys are in the same slack you know like yeah. it's amazing how all their complaints by the way they all say these about cities that other people live in and certainly cities that like me and you are in all the time i'm in seattle mm-hmm. all the time i go to portland all the time i have never had to sidestep human feces and needles, never I once gotta say. never once it's never even occurred to me as even a thing to be concerned
1: about. like i'll uh, give them that i have
0: sidestepped a needle before
1: Mm-hmm. I've never sidestepped like human feces yeah. ever, dude. Like, well, th- like
0: that's like you sidestepped a needle and you remember it because the instance is so yeah. rare. It was like, like
1: whoa, like it was like jarring to see. It, like, it was like whoa, I, oh my god.
0: I sidestep more dog shit in our fucking parks because goddamn dog owners ever pick their fucking <laughs> shit up that I did. They're of like, this oh, it's stuff.
1: compostable, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, often she says someone has passed out in front of the lobby's door, blocking her entrance. The other day, a man lurched in, lay down on a forte couch, stripped off his shirt and shoes, and refused to leave. At four in the afternoon, the streets can feel like a dealer central, Miss Merle said. (laughs) At least 20 to 30 people in ski masks, hoodies, and backpacks, usually on bikes and scooters. There's no point calling the cops.
0: (laughs) Says woman who calls the cops fifty times a day. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, Brian. Wait. Despite the street turmoil, Miss Mural likes to go on strolls on her breaks. But at 11:30 on a Tuesday morning, I walked to the block between Target and Nordstrom, and in oh the God. middle of everything, she said she saw a woman performing
0: an act of oral sex on a man. <laughs> well, first <laughs> off, I mean, look. Like- Getting, getting a blowjob in public <laughs> might have nothing to do with drugs or homelessness. Sometimes That's
1: just it's j- dudes so, rocking.
0: Yeah, sometimes you're just having a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: she is keenly aware that she's witnessing a confluence of longstanding societal problems, including mental health and housing crises say it with me brian
0: but (laughs) neither of which she would like to address or fix uh but let's let's go to the solution i want (laughs) but
1: it's so much the drugs she said
0: (laughs) it's amazing how all throughout history capitalism has never been able to resolve homelessness via the market yet it's always somehow been somebody else's fault (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's never it's never that capitalism just can't build housing for people like they just mm-hmm. won't do it right it's always got to be some other thing you know
1: no, it's just a choice i mean brian yeah, you I... see they they want this to have, this is just uh you know basically like the class of 1999 like it's just like fucking <laughs> you know <laughs> ki- kids are and just people wanting to come to paradise land in portland because it's fun to do right like <laughs> whom's amongst us uh doesn't doesn't want to like just <laughs> be homeless and be harassed by this like small business tyrant in like for, in uh, forte <laughs> portland
0: <laughs> well yeah i you know yeah because it, it's funny because these people of course this is just some knee-jerk reaction that they've learned from the media but it is funny to think about their underlying assumptions which of course they've never thought about which is the idea that yes that people like openly desire to live like this like people openly desire to be homeless like it's so much fun I (laughs) love it it's like an activity it's great it rules being treated as a non human like it's like a fucking like uh, like some sort of species of insect that's to be squashed right while having to live in the outdoors which like humans stopped doing like 60,000 years ago like but being forced into like a reversion by the economic system I live in being forced to revert to like a pre -pre Historic living
1: <laughs> well i also love I, I also love like her description of, like the assumption that we're just like back and like people are just choosing to do like this like burning man fad of like prehistoric time living but like you know <laughs> yeah. but also at the same time um like simultaneously there's 20 to 30 people in ski masks uh you know <laughs> dealing like wholesale fentanyl like outside of forte portland you know yeah. like i mean like that, that that's another I mean, I, I would love to go there to see that because, I mean, that that's yeah. like something that you can't even really just like, you know, just if you tell a lie saying like, yeah, oh, my gosh, there's like, you know, uh, people did some crazy stuff here and there but she's like just describing like a Rico case you know mm. like she's like, yeah. like that's happening like, every no, day what you she's know?
0: describing is literally <laughs> illegal in Portland even under this law <laughs> like, right like yeah. <laughs> and in fact this this law which we could talk about a little later but this law was specifically structured to focus the police on exactly what she's talking about right so this yeah. so that, this law should have freed up resources to deal with what she's talking about I mean it's it's what you talked about when we talked when you talked about eric adams a few weeks ago uh you know it's that conservatives like they can't stop lying they like, don't know when it's like not <laughs> they don't know to, and for eric adams it's because he's a cop right and so nobody yeah. will ever call him out right but also for you know small business tyrants the newspaper will never question them on these things they'll just gormlessly. Yeah, Yeah. publish it as if this represents like an opinion anybody needs to take seriously, right? (laughs) This obvious fucking lie, right? (laughs) Like, I noticed, by the way, uh, after she broke this uh, story to the reporters, obviously – the new york times uh, camera guy didn't find it interesting enough to take photos of these <laughs> these bands of ski masks fucking you know it seems like that'd be something you'd want to get a picture that of. would like, be like a
1: great fo- i mean that might make that photographer's career if they capture that outside of forte portland
0: yeah pretty sensational right i think i would want to i'd, I'd want to take a shot of that right <laughs> that too and like you know again the underlying assumptions are that these drug dealers doing something that's very illegal are also doing everything they can to alert people to the yeah. illegal activity, right? <laughs> By, like, basically wearing a giant, like, sign that says, I Cartoonish am dealing drugs, like, like on <laughs> like, them.
1: I guess we're, like, uh, you know, Portland's now, like, just part of the Looney Tunes, you know, and, like, <laughs> there's now just, like, a storefront that just says drugs on it. Yeah, right. Like...
0: <laughs> in, in that this exists, this situation, yeah. this situation where gangs of ski masks, <laughs> criminals selling drugs and blowing people on the sidewalk willy-nilly <laughs> exist between the target and the nordstroms yeah <laughs> 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 it's like these, these accounts are too absurd. Like you've got to dial it back. <laughs> dial it back. Too reel crazy. it in,
1: guys. People, like, look,
0: people have an
1: appetite for these stories. They want <laughs> to hear and believe these, regurgitate them. They want like, you know, like cable news to pick up these stories. Like you could even get like a spotlight on like, you know, Tucker's or even like Rachel Maddow's show to talk about like the, um, you know, the degeneracy that's happening in Portland. Right. But you got to make it a little believable, guys like you can't like <laughs> you you're losing the plot a little bit here like there 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 is like a liminal like a real like fine space where you got to operate in right you know just keep keep it tight Yeah, Yeah, I think like our tyrants are kind of losing the plot a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you wonder, and this is where it's really helpful that most Americans are so fucking socially isolated that they literally (laughs) don't know what's happening outside their own door, much less, you know, in the downtown area where they live. But like. You you kind of wonder is is there any situation where these lies get so absurd compared to just people's actual lived reality that they that the people start to reject it on some level. I mean, it reminds me of getting Facebook messages in twenty twenty from people going like my dad insists that you know people i like knew in high school be like my dad insists that seattle burned to the ground can you please (laughs) tell him that that is not the case right you know like you know like half of like conservative america believes that like the city of portland doesn't exist right now but also fully exists but fully exists
1: but it's like (laughs) occupied by like the people's homeless party of america (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like somehow like this like organized militant group of homeless people who have like violently taken over like the city center of portland
0: yeah and this yeah uh, to that point I would, I would put out this one photo in the instagram stories which i think is like the uh let's just say most exploitative of the bunch which is a picture of a homeless ba- man named noah nethers uh who says he Grew up in Detroit where he dreamed of becoming an English teacher, but by high school, he was smoking crushed up Oxycontin pills and trying heroin. He has been in and out of rehab in prison. I mean, first off, like, uh, you know, fucked up a Portland to do that to this high school yeah. kid in Detroit. In Detroit. But, but then they they have a quote which they're claiming is from him. I'm gonna go ahead and venture that maybe there's some context <laughs> here that's missing. Where they just write down, Portland is a homeless drug addict slice of paradise. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> You know, I mean, first off, like, uh, again, uh, drug use is much higher in Michigan. So, you know, probably better off there, honestly, probably shouldn't have moved. But uh, just incredible. This just, again, like, no, they, they like to live like this. <laughs> this is their dream, actually.
1: Yeah, no, this is <laughs> like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like a astronaut, a, a firefighter? hell you know even like become a pig like uh no i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna choose this uh paradise life uh <laughs> but being a homeless drug addict
0: well i remember
1: <laughs> In portland know- the wakanda for for homeless people <laughs>
0: Exactly, right? (laughs) and I remember in, like, college getting arguments with people, they'd be like, oh, you know, panhandlers, they actually get rich panhandling. Yeah. Oh, that was, like, a thing, like,
1: back when you were in college. I remember being a kid and even kids regurgitating that. They were like, yeah, "Yeah, you know, they're actually, like, really wealthy. Like, they're making more than my dad is. Like, that's what they'd say. Like, like, they're, like, pulling in more than, like, my dad makes
0: in a week. Mm -hmm. You could thank uh, John Stossel for that, by the way. But, yeah, like, but basically, yeah, doing that, like, oh, I saw a guy panhandling and they turned around and got in his bmw and drove yeah, off yeah. or whatever right <laughs> and ever like when they would say this in class or i'd always just be like well go do it then yeah right
1: what i mean you guys are missing out on an obvious opportunity
0: yeah you're we're Dude, all, if you can get a all... beamer
1: we're like working like 40 hours a day and like well we can just like yeah. just sit And like panhandle.
0: Yeah, it's like Like, it's like for all these dumb shit libertarians repeating this. It's like you believe you're a rational economic actor. Why are you not doing it? Yeah. (laughs) Like, go do it. Go be hopeless. Like, if it's so cool. Sounds like
1: they figured something out that you guys didn't
0: exactly and it sounds like if it's so great you would go do it you Mm -hmm. know you know almost as if you fucking know that's bullshit right but like (laughs) but yeah you you get this stuff of like okay it's it's a homeless drug addict slice of paradise it's like well why don't you go live there then and see like like because so far the pictures you're showing doesn't it's not showing me a lot of happy people it's like
1: (laughs) i don't see anyone really happy i see people in um, addiction treatment centers i see people uh you know smoking what seems to be meth something in a you know tinfoil uh like in a tent um you know people just kind of going about their lives with a camera stuck in their face like i don't know like some of these photos even (laughs) like the
0: worst moments of their lives with (laughs) some shitty fucking you know cameraman trying to take pictures of them
1: (laughs) Like Vassar undergrad, like uh, <laughs> <laughs> who who got like nepo hired by the New York Times to like do this shit, like you know he has like the Warby Parker glasses on. Um, I can I can see it now. I can see the person on the other side of this camera, right? Um, like someone's like trailer kind of burned down i see like portland fire like in the background while like a person is crying um like these are all (laughs) like sounds
0: like paradise to me baby yeah i mean this uh, this doesn't seem
1: you know yeah good and this is all in context of oregon being like on the lower end in the states of drug overdose yes right so, I mean imagine yeah. how bad it is like in other parts of the country.
0: Yeah, the, the actual story of Portland, Oregon right here shown here is that this is actually best case scenario in America. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, in its in its current formulation, this is, this this is, is what the capitalist
1: markets are producing, right? Yeah. And I think that this is what is uncomfortable with the New York Times and you know the Seattle Times and a bunch of you know people who I think uh, you know are susceptible to at least uh, wanting to believe it. I will say I would go out on a limb and say uh, this article is and photo essay is for homeowners uh, and yeah. real and you know uh, aligns with real estate in a lot of ways. Uh, because you know, as like, as rents are astronomically high, which is actually what is correlated with homelessness. Drug yeah. use uh, has almost no correlation with homelessness. It's a very weak correlation. Mo-
0: and actually, most drug users, the majority of drug users, are housed. Yeah, they you are. Know? I mean, th- drug costs
1: money, guys. Like, yeah, you guys I- have to like <laughs> remember that.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> it's like you have to pay to buy. that it's like drug dealers it's like i don't know if you've ever dealt with a drug dealer before but there, it's not exactly like habitat for humanity over there right like they demand money in return for product like they usually don't run tabs and things like that right they don't accept you know uh food you know food stamps right like it's cash it's a cash business
1: yeah it's a cash business and Can you buy it on
0: credit disgusting no no wow
1: what the hell you can't you can't uh clarna that you can't do after pay and uh break your payments out four months at a time bill me later um you know yeah i, I this is a common narrative that you see especially in seattle uh portland san francisco uh even la to a certain degree uh but what's actually happening here is I think that this is, um, you know, a narrative that benis- benefits, real estate a lot. You can see that the people who they're interviewing are these like small business people who, you know, maybe after COVID, you know, had, um, you know, a slight downturn in business, um, Visible homelessness does not help property values really much. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the bigger story is that, you know, what causes homelessness in the first place? Because one thing that we're not denying is that homelessness in America absolutely does exist. Why does it exist? Right. Because people cannot afford to live in America and there's no social safety net at all to prevent people from just completely falling off the map. And becoming precarious and homeless. This is actually by design what capitalism is all about, right? And when that's left completely unchecked, you get what you have in America, which is a free market of housing that is determined by a private market. And you have rents skyrocketing to the point where it's creating more homelessness each and every year. Meanwhile, we have no real form of public health care system in America. We are, our social bonds from a social level are completely severed. Many people don't even have relationships with their own family, nonetheless actual close friends who can maybe support them on hard times, right? All of those social and economic factors convalesce into a epidemic of homelessness being created by capital. Yeah, this is this is what, and it's upsetting to see. And because the contradictions are so stark, how do we actually solve this? Well, we could uh, challenge real estate capital, maybe seize some apartments that uh, have high vacancies and house people in there. But then that challenges the very idea of you know real estate as a wealth generator rather than like a you know a way for people to have housing, right? And so you can't do that. So what do you do? Uh, let's lock them up, because yeah. ultimately those are the two like kind of options that you have when you're dealing with this. And the bar- barbarism option, which is like you know primarily preferred by real estate capital, because obviously the other one is let's just actually you know have social housing that doesn't uh, you know is not privy or you know tied to any private market and prices. Right? It's like something that can be a guarantee as a human right. That is a completely different, uh, you know, way of operating, but also uh, challenges specific core ideas of capitalism itself. And once that band aid is like starting to, you know, peel off, that can get ripped off pretty quickly. So, you know, we're dealing with a crisis caused by capitalism, while you know the solution has to be barbaric or else it goes against the very economic drivers that are enriching so many people, right? And homeowners are a part of that inherently, right? Which is why, which is where you see, you know, not just Jared Kushner, like, pushing this line, but maybe just some, like, people who own single-family homes, too, who want their property values to go down because all of their net worth is in their equity of their house, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is, like, the class of people that America has made. This, like, class of homeowning, uh, you know, that – Every single part of their uh, wealth is now tied into the equity of their house, or maybe like their two houses, right? That they have. Um, that, that like provides this contingency of of people who would probably rather that be since that is like their whole like lifeline in terms of like you know where their wealth is derived uh to not destroy that so i guess we might as well you know fill up the jails maybe we should kill them maybe we should you know uh forget about them or at least get them out of my sight because it's annoying these are contradictions that you're seeing from capitalism right and i think that that is a really hard thing to swallow that's why you never see that in the new york times um because it counteracts like what real estate is creating. You have to always ask, why are they actually here in the first place? Why are more homeless people, uh, you know, why are more people becoming unhoused? You know? Yeah. Those are, those are all things that I think never get covered in any of these stories. Never get answered in the Seattle Times and New York Times. Any single like piece of this is, you know, these are actual people who didn't, who, who didn't choose to live this way, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it's systems that actually caused it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, for our Seattle residents, right, if you go to your Seattle public library, you can access the Seattle Times historical files. Go all the way back to the beginning of those files, like the start in 19- 1900 is your first year you can look at, right? And look up the term Shacktown, right? And look at the Seattle Times in 19, you know, 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, 010, yeah, 10, right, complaining about the massive population of people living in shacks in Seattle, Calling them animals, telling them that they're bestial, that they're not white, right? All this kind of stuff, right? How we're going to get rid of them. We're going to run them off. We got to organize the city, you know, health department police to burn their shacks down and run them out. Oh, my God, they're back all of a sudden, right? (laughs) Almost like the city's producing this over and over again, right? And you get that in every major American city up until literally the the New Deal in the post-war period. And it's like the reason why the amount of homeless people went down in the 40s and 50s was because we built social housing. Now yeah. we immediately stopped, right? Which is why it then starts to peak back up again in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and is like accelerated as we've destroyed that social housing. But we put one foot into the social housing pond and we immediately reduced homelessness dramatically. <laughs> it's like almost like that's the answer that the market cannot, will not, and you know, provide housing for people that has to be provided by the state like the market under no circumstances no matter how much you deregulate it and hope that housing trickles down it never has and it never will produce housing for everybody
1: and it's just not the point of a housing market right that's like yes
0: that's that's the main thing because that is not (laughs) the point of the housing market yes (laughs) go ahead (laughs)
1: no exactly that was my point
0: (laughs) yeah 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 and i mean and that's the thing i mean people just like willfully as you're as you mentioned right willfully not understanding these things right and And I think, you know, as far as the opioid crisis goes, I mean, that's fucking real. Like, you know, in drug overdose deaths are not just going up in Portland. They are up across the board nationwide, going up much faster in some states than others. Right. And there's reasons for that. One of which is the pharmaceutical industry literally fucking created this epidemic. Like, yeah. They literally shoved opiates onto people, uh, you know, so that they could fucking sell bullshit. Right. They shoved them onto people. They lied about how unsafe they were and stuff like that. And they got people addicted. Right. And that's why states like West Virginia have much higher drug overdose hospitalizations and deaths than Oregon, because West Virginia has more people who work jobs that destroy your body over time. Right. Those people get hurt in those jobs. They then go to the doctor. The doctor gives them essentially fucking weapons grade fentanyl, but it's made by Purdue Pharma instead, right? You know, and uh, they get hooked, right? Mm -hmm. They then fucking lose their job. They lose their health insurance, right? And now they're using heroin and fentanyl, right? And if you talk to people in the trades, especially the building trades, this is not a hard trajectory them to understand because they've seen it they see, they see this that my brother tells me stories of this happening to his coworkers all the time right he has this whole thing about why he won't take he's like when he goes to the doctor he has all sorts of you know problems from working construction his whole life he won't take fucking painkillers because he's seen too many people get addicted on it yeah and then yeah. move on to you know heroin and it's like So, again, we can't have any serious critique of drug addiction in this country because the drug addiction is literally a product of American corporations and American capital. Right. And as you know, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier, the fucking American state, you know, bringing the shit in and then finding places to dump it, you know. And uh, it's like, you know, nobody wants to look at that. So it must be a problem of personal responsibility
1: yeah it's a moral failing it's a it's a personal choice that's gone awry and you know it's just it's reckless behavior on their part and that's like the that's a, that's a narrative that will make uh people of certain classes feel good
0: yeah yeah and you know and the thing is is that they'll feel good about it they'll call for a solution that just so happens to also be fairly profitable for, <laughs> for the, which is you know just throwing these people in prison right yeah. and and to get to the just to kind of close out on this, I mean, I just want to briefly just mention what this this, you know, uh, law is in Oregon that got passed because uh, I think it it symbolizes the ineffectual nature of a lot of our approach to these things. Uh, so contrary to The New York Times reporting, the law does not make it legal to have fucking drugs. What it does is it decriminalizes having very small amounts of narcotics to a, a fine right? So a fine penalty, a civil penalty, right? Now, when you get this ticket from the police officer, just like you get a ticket for speeding or parking or whatever, right? You have a choice. You can um, call a hotline that's on the ticket, have them run through whether or not you're a drug addict with you. So they give you an evaluation over the phone to decide whether or not you're a drug addict, right? And after they make that decision, you could then choose to go to go to treatment, right? Now, if you've done all those things, the hotline company will send the civil court a certificate of completion on your part. Right now, if within I think it's 90 days, the court doesn't get that certificate of completion, you owe the fine. Right now, this has a wide variety of problems. One, most people being arrested for drug possession in public are people who don't have a private place to possess it, like everyone you know in America uh, so they might not have the access to a phone <laughs> to be uh, psychoanalyzed by whatever freaks are running this hotline, <laughs> right? But the other problem being, too, that, uh, you know, one, the police would have to, like, fully explain this to the person they're ticketing. That person would have to understand it and then, yeah, have the ability to make the phone call, right? Uh, what we see is that Oregon actually, since this law has gone in place, very few people actually go through this process, right? They just take the fine, essentially, right? Shocker,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: well, shock of all shocks, right? Uh, and then, even if they did decide to go through the procedure, Oregon didn't expand any of its treatment facility capacity, so there's actually no treatment facilities for you to go to either. So, oh. even if you do go through it, okay. also, you can't get to the treatment facility because it doesn't exist. And so, what happens is, is all of this just goes to the fine stage. Now, keep in mind, the people who are getting these tickets are going to be disproportionately homeless because that's who the police target. And also that's who just has drugs on them in public for the most part. Right. Um, Because everybody else just does it in their house. Right. And so, you know, those fines are essentially giving a financial penalty to a homeless person for being homeless, which then of course, you know, escalates eventually into warrants and things like that because shock of all shocks, again, uh, homeless people don't actually have a lot of money. (laughs) on hand (laughs) and so generally can't pay these fines right and so ultimately this just goes even though it's a law that has you might say the best of intentions and yes it's better than uh just going straight to the arrest and incarceration phase this law pretty much just ends up at the arrest and incarceration phase anyways right because you miss
1: the ticket and then you have a warrant for your arrest basically
0: Yeah, you just tick like three more boxes before you get to the prison phase, right? Yeah. You know, all of which are getting ticked. You know, like again, uh, there was an article uh, from Oregon Public Broadcasting uh, from May about this law that basically saying that like the the you know people taking advantage of the uh, treatment thing is essentially nobody. Um, they have no analysis of why that might be, but I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious why that's. Oh, no, it's a personal choice, Brian. Yeah, it's a personal choice, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so so even in the case of this law, like where this law sort of falls short, all of that is the product of political choices that are designed to essentially make sure that it falls short, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to look at how this is set up and be like, that's not going to work, you know? And so that means that was a choice. That was a choice to essentially pass this in a way that would be not functional, Right. Now, that being said, Oregon still has lower rates of fentanyl <laughs> hospitalizations and deaths than pretty much everywhere else in the country. You know, an important fact that seems to be worth stating, you know, <laughs> in the context of this article. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for showing me this, Munya. Yeah, I hated it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sucked. <laughs>
0: You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, One last note, uh, the Seattle Times and its, you know, usual grand reporting strategy uh, had an article this last week, which I think is related. It's just worth bringing up real quick about how among the largest U.S. metro areas, Seattle had the highest percentage of residents who felt pressure to move because their neighborhoods seemed unsafe. Oh, and. And this is exactly what you were just talking about, Modia. I mean, essentially, this is just vibes, right? One, they felt pressure to move, meaning so they, didn't, they didn't move. <laughs> so they, didn't they didn't move. move. <laughs> they just had a thought one day that maybe they would move or something. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what it's even supposed to mean? And uh, because they seemed unsafe, not was unsafe, right? Which we know statistically it's not right yeah. much safer than most cities in america again uh but you know it seemed like it and i felt pressured it's like good reporting guys this amazing is, this is real stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you know when somebody has a stupid idea you don't have to share it <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> incredible God. shit incredible shit oh well well that's enough fun for today Hey, everybody, we have a Patreon where we're going to break down the song of the summer coming out this week. We're going to talk a little international news. All right. We're going to get to the bottom of what uh, CRT and wokeism has done to South Africa. (laughs) Uh, We've used your Patreon money to send an emergency shipment of PragerU videos uh, to South Africa.
1: They need Uh, to see it. I mean, the education there, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we got, got barrier wise to personally deliver it to
0: <laughs> you can be cool and listen to this episode uh, by simply going to the Patreon link down in the episode description and for $5 a month, you'll have access to just hours and hours and hours. I can't even express how many hours of uh, Patreon content, all of which that's where we tell all the good jokes. And uh, it's also where we say all the names of everybody uh you know you know if you think about
1: it it, the patreon being five dollars a month and you getting access to every single episode that we've ever done uh you know just with the five dollars a month uh you know it gets cheaper by the month Mm because our price uh doesn't raise with inflation so you know in a way like you know it's on discount every single month like in a more extreme discount
0: Plus, you can access all that cumulative content, and if you can't understand why that's a deal, uh, that's because you weren't good at high school calculus. Yeah, you, you, you weren't. You out weren't it.
1: You, yeah, I mean, you obviously weren't economics. It's called it's called price per episode, sweetie. So, uh, <laughs> if five dollars a month, you know, you have three hundred, and the next time you have three hundred and two, that price per episode goes down. That's called value. You know? Yeah, I read a Warren Buffett's book. Yes.
0: <laughs> and if you're liking the way that Munya's voice is sounding right now, uh that's cuz he has a new microphone purchased Let's with go. Patreon dollars. Uh this you is, did that. You know, <laughs>
1: you guys did that. Thank yep. you.
0: <laughs> we do occasionally buy new equipment to make the show sound progressively less shitty. Yeah. Um, so. We couldn't
1: have done it without you guys. Thanks so much. Um, and you know, this is called investing in infrastructure. Uh something that a country I know of never does. Darn. <laughs> you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> All right, everybody. Good night. Night.